You are listening to the Reality Church Ventura podcast, a collection of sermons from our weekly Sunday gatherings. To learn more about reality, visit us online at realityventura.com. Good morning, everyone. Happy New Year. If we haven't met, my name is Dominic, and I'm one of the pastor elders here. Uh, As we turn the corner into 2024, we want to take the opportunity today to do two things. First of all, we want to give a practical and missional update about 2023. And then we're going to move into a time in the Word talking about why we worship specifically regarding musical worship. So we like to do uh, this sort of update type thing at the beginning of the year for a couple of reasons. First of all, for transparency's sake, it's just good for the congregation to know what money was given to the church and how that money was invested into the kingdom. But also we, we do it yearly for our encouragement. It is good for us to see how kingdom generosity has been working in the kingdom and uh, it's good for us to see when there was generosity because the Bible says that generosity is a sign of God's grace on and in and through our lives and God's grace is working in and through us. But before we get to the financial stuff, um, I just want to share a few bullet points real quickly, just take a few minutes here, about some cool stuff that happened in the life of our church. We're not going to put it up on the screen or anything. Uh, we just, the last couple of weeks as we were looking at this, we were like, gosh, this would be good to share with the church um, at this January update. So you may have heard us say that uh, Sunday mornings and community groups are our main pathways of discipleship here at Reality Ventura. You see what's happening on Sundays because you're here. But what you may not know is that there are 368 active community group members right now. Active. That means that's not like you sign up and never show up. That's like active people who are discipling others and being discipled in these community groups. We also have 290 active, regular volunteers. Almost three, I was blown away by this this week. Almost 300 of you guys are serving Jesus and his people in and through Reality Ventura. I was blown, thank you so much for the way that you are giving of your time and your gifts. Yeah, we can clap for that, that's good. Thank you for investing in that way. Your labor is not in vain. There's fruit because of what you are doing. And if you're not yet serving and you're a part of Reality Ventura, I can't encourage you enough to find a place to serve. You will be relationally connected. You will be spiritually encouraged. I almost guarantee it. And if you're like, Dom, I don't know where I can serve, bro. What do I? Kids ministry. That's where you need to serve, okay? Also, our church has grown this year. Our adult Sunday attendance is like 100 to 150 people more than it was in 2022. That growth came from probably a multitude of places, but I know one of the places it came is people coming to faith in Jesus. And I know this because we baptized between 50 and 60 new people in 2023, which is absolutely incredible. Yeah, you can clap for that too. Hey, I'm down with all the praising of God and all the clapping. So do what you're going to do. Speaking of growing, um, our kids' ministry is bursting at the seams. Um, If you showed up late today and you have a kid, you probably know what I'm talking about because I bet you the classrooms were closed, and I'm sorry about that. Um, Last year, to just give a statistic here, we had an average of 99 kids a Sunday, and we know because they check in on the computer, it's easy to find. Right now, we have an average of 168 
kids a Sunday. Yeah. Sometimes with as many as 190 kids on Sundays. If you're doing the math, the adult attendance has grown by like whatever that is, 15% or something. And the kids ministry has grown by like 80%. So either that means that people are dropping off their kids and not going to church. (laughs) Or y'all are taking the whole be fruitful and multiply thing real serious. Which I think is probably what it is. And we love it. We love our busting at the seams kids ministry. But... When a family, you know, at a house who lives in a home starts having lots more kids and growing, their home that used to feel like the right size starts feeling too small. More on that later. The last thing I want to highlight before I get into the finances is this. We gave our community groups each a few hundred bucks at uh, the beginning of this last season and just said, hey, go love reality or go love Ventura County. Sorry, go love Ventura County. Be creative be like Jesus. And I just wanted to highlight a few of the things that the community groups did. They served foster care and neglected kids through a surf ministry. They served kids in a group home, made comfort blankets for foster care babies, served the homeless with food, hygiene items, and written prayers, served widows in need and threw them a holiday party. I love that. Hosted a barbecue dinner for the people and staff in a transition home, built a safe space for sex trafficked kids through the organization Forever Found, served meals at multiple food pantries, through love life, served moms in need who decided to keep their babies instead of having an abortion, served and cared for elderly couples in need, served at the Mercy House, purchased Christmas gifts for families in need, served a Trader Joe's employee's mom who is dying of brain cancer, served those transitioning out of prison by writing them cards, and provided for a young family preparing for overseas missions. So cool. Love it. There's obviously lots of other fruit and stuff that was happening throughout the year that we can't quantify, that you can't put in a list or a spreadsheet, but these are some of the things that we can measure. The finances are also something that we can measure. The finances of the church are our organized effort to cultivate this fruit. In fact, none of the stuff I just mentioned would have been possible without the financial generosity of God's people. And so I want to take just a few minutes now to talk about two things regarding finances. Number one, how was our generosity in 2023? And number two, how did we steward the finances that came in and invest that into the kingdom in 2023? So first, how was our generosity in 2023? We're going to put some numbers up on the screen in a minute. Before we do, just so you know, this is for our our fiscal year. So that started in August, I'm sorry, September 2022, went through August 31st, 2023. That means these don't, this doesn't capture the last four months of 2023. But the total tithes and offerings that were given in fiscal year 2023 was $1,972,166. As you can see, That is almost a 1% decrease actually from 2022, but um, you have to keep something in mind here, which is helpful. This year, we took over 70 people to the United Kingdom on a mission trip. Those people had to raise a total of more than $200,000. Most of that fundraising contributions came from you guys. Many of you continued to give and maybe even gave more than you normally would have, but you allocated some of those funds toward the UK trip. 
which is great. That's awesome. Thank you for your generosity. However, the gifts given to the UK trip are not in this report. Because it was a trip, those numbers were pulled out, which was the right, right way for us to do the accounting, but it makes these numbers a little bit skewed. So $1.9 million was given, which looks like almost a 1% decrease from 2022, but it's not really when you consider the great generosity and that couple hundred thousand dollars that you guys gave toward the UK trip. Next, who gave and what is the giving breakdown of that? 525 people gave, which is a hundred more people than the year before, which is amazing. And And these 525 people gave a total of 5,234 gifts, which is about 400 more gifts than the previous year. Also incredible. And the average size of those gifts was $380, which is about 20 more dollars than the average gift from the year before. But on average, that's about $297 less total for the whole year of giving per person. Again, many of you probably gave more than you did the year before, but because a lot of that was allocated to the United the UK trip. It won't, it won't show up in these numbers. So all things considered, man, we just, we wanna say and celebrate and say, God bless you for your generosity and the way that you have invested in the kingdom. What a joy it is for us to see this as like a health metric. It's not the only metric, but it's something that we can measure. Um, and we don't, we don't give just for no reason. We give because God's grace is on us to give. And so, Praise God for that. May he bless you in return uh, tenfold for that. Now I want to uh, share a bit of how these funds were invested into the kingdom. I put up a little chart here. 55% of the budget, the, the gifts given of that 1.9 million was used for staffing. That is us making sure that we have the right people in place to keep mission moving forward and that those people are rightly compensated and taken care of. 27% of the budget was used for operations. Operations are basically all of the practical things that are needed to keep mission moving forward. 13% of the budget was spent on our facility, a facility that we love and which we are starting to outgrow. More on that later. 11% of the budget was invested into global and local mission, which we will break down on this next slide. And we used 6% of the money that we had in savings. A quick note about our savings. We have several hundred thousand dollars in our savings account right now. A couple hundred of that is off limits. It is uh, like a rainy day fund, which is the best practice for churches and organizations. The rest of that money is to be used to invest into the kingdom. Sometimes that means that we're saving it. We're not touching it. We are saving for something like a building fund. More on that later. But sometimes we are... Uh, investing strategically into different kingdom things. This year, we used a portion of the savings to make some strategic investments into the kingdom, which is why you see that 6% of the savings being used. One thing that we wanna highlight about our kingdom investment, because it's stinking awesome, is the global and missional investment that we were able to to do into the kingdom. This year, we invested a total of $225,444 into global and local mission, almost a quarter million dollars. 193,000 of that went to the nations. And 32,000 of that was used for local missions, such as the Ventura County Pregnancy Center, Uh, Young Life, as well as supporting local church plants like Reality, I'm sorry, not local church plants, but church plants like Reality, Honolulu. All in all, 
an incredible year. We are encouraged by your generosity. Thank you once again. So stoked on how we've been able to invest into the kingdom this year. Now, a quick note about our building and our building situation. I made a joke earlier that when you, the family is having like more and more kids, they start outgrowing their house and their house that they had that used to fit them starts not fitting them anymore. And so you have to do something. You either have to figure out a way to like expand the house you're living in if it's possible and if it's reasonable and wise, or you have to move somewhere else and find a bigger house. Uh, Reality Ventura has been steadily growing for the last several years, not only in depth, but also in breadth. And we are beginning to outgrow our house, if you will. There have been many Sundays where we've actually had to turn away kids in kids ministry because our classes are over full. Um, we even this year moved our whole staff off site. We like moved out of our offices that were here and gave our office space over to the kids ministry to just try to do what we could. And so now we have our offices off space. You've probably noticed that your elbow room has gotten tighter on Sundays and your leg room has gotten tighter. If you keep showing up and you're like, dude, why does it feel squishy in here? Did I get fat? Like, no, you, I mean, maybe you did, but that's not, probably not what it is. We, we keep bringing in more chairs and we are at our absolute maximum capacity for the amount of chairs that we can have in here. We can't talk about it in depth right now, but we also wanted to let you know that we have, we have dreams of starting a school of mission and a school of worship where we will equip the next generation. This also will require more space. We have explored all of the creative ways that we can add a third service and none of them will work because our, fam- our church has so many young families and has always had so many young families. If we are to stay here in this building, we legally have to build out our next door warehouse space. Right now we're operating next door in a temporary use permit. We legally have to permanently build it out. It's a two and a half million dollar project to build out next door. And on this side of the wall, we would need to uh, add more classrooms, several more classrooms, a bigger worship room for the kids and expand the size of our sanctuary. We can't go out. So the only way is to go up by adding a mezzanine. That whole project is a $3 million worship project or a a building project in addition to the two and a half million dollars next door if you're doing the math, five and a half million dollars to be able to make this place what we would need it to be. Our building is not even worth that. It's worth like four and a half million dollars. So we are praying and asking the Lord, Lord, what do you want us to do? What do you want us to do? And we're communicating this with you this morning because we want to invite you as well to begin to pray and ask the Lord to give us wisdom. We wanna ask you to do that in your regular life, just like daily life, asking him. But also we wanna invite you to come out tonight, which is our first Sunday prayer. We are dedicating the entire one hour of prayer into praying into these things. Okay, so all of that financial information I shared will be sent out in the newsletter if you wanna look at it again. Can we all just stand up together? Okay, shake it out. Look at your neighbor, say, are you ready? Okay, go ahead and sit back down. And open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter five. Next week, we are starting a new series in 2 Thessalonians, but today I am teaching on why we worship, specifically why do we prioritize musical worship in the way that we do. 
Ephesians chapter five, the verse that I'm gonna use as like a launching point is uh, verse 19, but we'll start in verse 15 just to get a little context. Ephesians five, starting in verse 15, it'll be up on the screen as well. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Here's our verse. Speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. Let's pray together. God, we are thankful for the ways that we have been able to participate in your kingdom work this last year. We're thankful for what you have done. We are excited about what is to come. And right now, Lord, in this moment, for the next 30 minutes or so, we just want to make ourselves available to you to speak to us however you see fit. We know that music and musical worship is so close to your heart. And so we ask that you would help us to sync up with your thoughts and your desires uh, regarding musical worship. In Jesus' name, amen. We have uh, three kids. That was my wife and daughter up here earlier sharing about perspectives, by the way. Selah is 19. She's a sophomore at Biola and called to be a missionary. We also have a, our youngest is 10 years old, Kingston. Um, he plays soccer and he dances hip hop and he's starting to play music and he's sweet. And then we, we have our middle son who's 16 now, Solomon. And uh, when Solomon was 14, he came to us and he said, hey, I think I wanna learn how to play the guitar. And it was like, great, yeah, I'll teach you, I'll teach you how to do it. And got him a guitar and he started playing and picked it up really fast, like faster than I had seen anybody pick up the guitar. And, started getting really good. And then he started singing and started writing songs. And I was like, oh, dang, dude, this is awesome. But secretly in the back of my mind, I was like, I just hope that he doesn't want to do this for a living because I know that that's a really tough path. And uh, then he came to me about a year in. So he's 15 years old. And he says, dad, I know what I need to do for a living. And I was like, all right, I'm thinking he's like, he's super smart. He's a good leader. He's emotionally intelligent. I was like, oh, he's gonna, he wants to be an entrepreneur or run a company or something. And I was like, what do you want to do? And he's like, I got to do music. And I was like, I kept my composure, you know? I was like, okay. And I was like, why? And he was like, you know that feeling you get when you hear a song and it just like moves you? And I was like, yeah. He's like, that's the feeling I want to give to everybody all over the world. And I was like, okay, dude, (laughs) you got me. You got me. What is it about music? that is so impactful. Why do we give half of our church services to musical worship? Is it a preference thing? It's like, oh yeah, well, Dom and Tim, they're musicians. So like we do a lot of music. Is it a traditional thing? Is it just something we've done? So we just keep doing it? Or is there something deeper? Even a hundred years ago, we wouldn't have actually had to ask that question because as a culture and as a people, we sang. Everybody sang. You sang around the dinner table. You sang when you were walking. You sang in the, the baseball stadium. Everybody sang. There was no professionals with a microphone singing the national anthem. Everybody sang. But now we have commercialized music to the point and made it so accessible that it's lost its value. It is everywhere. My kids don't have to save up to go buy their fi- favorite you know, CD or album or whatever. They just have a thousand artists they can listen to like that. Don't even, it doesn't cost them anything. And so we have lost 
our, 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 we've lost our, our touch with like what the power of music is and what is our role, not the musicians, humanity's role and Christian's role in our connection to music. And so now we do have to ask the question, why do we worship? Well, the first reason is this, because it is natural. It is in our nature to sing. One of the most common themes that we see throughout scripture is the theme of music and singing. In uh, Exodus chapter 15, God rescues his people from Egypt, parts the Red Sea, brings 3 million people through the Red Sea to the other side. They get through, they are celebrating. What does Moses, the leader, do? Writes a song and teaches 3 million people to sing it. In Luke chapter one, an angel comes and tells Mary, you are going to carry in your womb the savior of the world. Pretty big deal. What does Mary do in response? She sings, she writes and sings a song. Why? Nobody told them they had to do this. It wasn't like Moses got through the Red Sea and he started writing just a poem. And somebody's like, whoa, 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 you can't write a poem, dude. You gotta put melody to that. Like you gotta sing a song. Why? Why did Moses do that? Because the music was already in him. And it wasn't because he was a musician. It was because he was a human. We were made to sing. In the same way that God made us to talk so we could communicate and walk so we could go places, God made us to sing so we could worship. There is an entire book in the Bible of just songs, 150 of them. My wife made a playlist for road trips. It's seven hours of road trip music. It's only 112 songs. The book of Psalms is 150 songs complete with instructions for how future musicians are to rightly play and sing these songs. In other words, musical worship was so important to God that he put a playlist of 150 of his favorite worship songs in the middle of his book. We were made to worship in song, which is why our passage today commands us to do so. Speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. But it's not just that God's people sing. God himself sings. In Zephaniah 3, God is telling Israel how he will restore them. And he says this, the Lord your God is in your midst. The mighty one will save you. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. Fun fact, the word translated here as rejoice in the Hebrew actually means to spin around under the influence of an overwhelming emotion. God describes himself as dancing and singing with overwhelming joy for his people. And we see this in Jesus. We know that the last thing Jesus did with all of his disciples was he had what we call the last supper. And you probably remember that it was there that he instituted communion. But what you may have forgotten is that he also sang 
as one of the last things he did with his disciples. He sang a hymn with them. And then Jesus is on the cross and he said several things from the cross. One of the things he said though was, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You, you may know this, but what you may not know is that Jesus was quoting the beginning lyrics of a 1,000 year old worship song that every Jew within earshot would have recognized. We know the song now as Psalm 22. Music is part of the nature of God. And as people created in his image, we have music woven into the fabric of our being. As common as eating and drinking, as common as walking and talking, it may sound strange, but worshiping God in song is one of the most natural things that we can do. But it's not just that we were made to sing or that God commands us to sing, but stuff happens when we sing. Like every command in scripture, it's not only to bring glory to God, which it is to do that, but it also brings transformation to us. Not only is it natural, but musical worship is transformational. Why does God command, demonstrate, and emphasize music? Like why melodies? And why instrumentation? Why rhythms and chords? Why not just talking? Why not just chanting? Why not just writing? What is so special about music? Well, it changes us. God wired us to be changed by music. First of all, it changes us individually. If you focus your attention on something for long enough, you will begin to conform to it. This is why the Bible puts such an emphasis on meditating on scripture and why we as a church prioritize the preaching of God's word. But here's what's crazy about singing specifically. When you sing, it activates the part of your brain that is associated with memory. That's why we, teach, we don't teach kids the ABCs like this. A, B, C, D, E, F, G-H-I, okay, now you try. We go A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Because, thank you. <laughs> because if you want something to imprint on your brain and in your heart even, have the person sing about it. One of the most effective ways for us to replace our false belief systems with biblical belief systems is to sing about them. Music changes us. And it's not only the words. Even just the melodies and the chords can be transformational. Many of us have experienced this. You're feeling a certain way before you come to church. Maybe you're down or you're having a hard time or you're stressed about something. And the music starts and you get to church and something begins to shift in you. Your perspective begins to change. Your attitude starts changing. You begin to experience maybe the love of God and the grace of God and the, 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 the peace of God and maybe even the joy of God. Why? This is how God made us. We are changed when we sing. But more specifically, we are changed when we sing together. And we are changed together when we sing together. 
Yes, our passage talks about how there was a, a corporate nature. We sing to one another. That's why our passage says is we sing to one another like, how great is our God? Sing with me, right? I'm singing to you. I'm saying, let's sing together. We are not just changed individually. We are changed corporately. Jesus prayed for his followers in John 17 before he went to the cross. And he prayed for future followers like us. What's astounding to me is that he didn't pray for us to have boldness. He didn't pray for us to have lots of gifts. He didn't pray for us to have a certain kind of wisdom. What he prayed for us to have was unity. There is something uniquely powerful about God's people being united. Okay, but what does that have to do with musical worship? I'll tell you. In 2013, researchers in Sweden conducted a study in which they measured the heart rates of a group of 15 singers as they sang together. What they found was that the cadence of the music and the rhythm of the lyrics required each member to inhale and exhale at the same interval, so much so that as the members sang in unison, their pulses began to rise and fall in unison. They didn't know it, but they were discovering how God made us to sing together and what happens when we do. Another study, baby's just singing. Baby's just singing. Another study was conducted by a team at the Keck Graduate Institute that measured the neurology, that is the brain science, of those who participate in group singing. They discovered that those who sang together experienced a significant rise in the hormone oxytocin. Oxytocin is released in the body when we experience love, a deep connection or a social bond with another. Let me put it, to you like this. When we sing together, our hearts, both physically and relationally, intertwine with one another. This is why national anthems were so powerful, especially when they were sung by all of the people. If you're old enough to remember, there was a time when the professionals didn't sing the national anthems in a microphone. The people sang. And the reason they did that is because the national anthem was intended to unite people around something that was greater than ourselves, reminding us of our shared national identity. But in the kingdom of God, there was something way bigger than that. Because in the kingdom of God, the kingdom people sing anthems to God. And we are reminding ourselves when we do that of our shared spiritual identity and citizenship and that we belong to something and someone greater than ourselves. And this unites us around Jesus and to one another. Musical worship is individually transformational and it is corporately transformational, but it is also circumstantially transformational. That's right. It's not just that we are changed when we worship, but our circumstances can actually change when we worship. In 2 Chronicles 20, King Jehoshaphat and the people of God are up against an impossible army made up of three different nations. God tells King Jehoshaphat, you will not need to fight in this battle. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Jehoshaphat in response does something crazy and he takes the singers and the players on instruments, the worship team, and he puts them on the front lines. Worst tactic ever. And as they begin to worship, something crazy happens. A confusion comes over the enemy and these three opposing armies start fighting against each other until they are all defeated. Apparently, it was the best tactic ever. The people of God worshiped in song 
and the enemy was defeated. In Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas are in prison for preaching the gospel. They are needing their circumstances to change. What do they do? Well, the author of Acts tells us very specifically, Acts 16, it tells us that they are praying and singing. And as they are praying and singing, a great earthquake comes and shakes the foundation of the prison and suddenly the prison doors fly open and everyone's chains come loose. Worshiping God in song is not just a response to God. It is a weapon of spiritual warfare. As John Piper says, the Holy Spirit is our great hope against Satan. But how does the Holy Spirit fill and empower us? He quotes our verse. Be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your hearts to the Lord. One of the primary ways that the fullness of the spirit is expressed is a heart filled with singing. He goes on to say, if we fight Satan by the fullness of the spirit, we fight him with a song. As the great missionary Amy Carmichael once said, I believe truly that Satan cannot endure it and so slips out of the room more or less when there is a true song. It is like screeching to his ears. Do you have some spiritual battle that needs to be won? Sing. So we prioritize musical worship then because it is natural. God made us to do it. It is transformational. Things change and we change when we worship. And because musical worship is irreplaceable. I want to zoom out for just a second. Jesus said, Jesus said that the law of God, the 10 commandments can be summed up in these two commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor like yourself. But the greatest of these is the first one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind and with all of your strength. The reason that God gave the commandments was not because he was strict or because he liked order and rules. He gave the commandments as a guideline to cause flourishing in humanity. If you want to flourish, obey the commands. And Jesus says the first one, this first one, this is where you should start. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Why am I bringing this up in the middle of a sermon on musical worship? Because there are many ways that we can love the Lord with body, soul, mind, and strength. But this is one of the absolute best ways that we can love the Lord with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, all of our strength. Why? Because it hits all of them at the same time. First of all, musical worship is intellectual. That is, it engages the mind. For some of you, you are naturally cerebral people. You are thinkers. You process information first through your mind and second through your emotions. For you, maybe worship is a primarily intellectual experience. For others, though, who are feelers, maybe, worship is mostly a felt experience. Musical worship is meant to be both. The music should make us feel, but the words should make us think, which means that we should be thoughtful about what we are singing. We want to sing lyrics that are both biblically sound and intellectually meaningful, This is why many people love hymns and a lot of thinkers love hymns. Most hymns were written by theologians 
And most theologians were thinkers. And so when they wrote songs, they wrote them with very dense theological and intellectual substance. The downside, or at least the potential downside, is that thinkers can sometimes be disconnected from how their theology connects with their humanity. Nowadays, we've almost got the opposite problem. Many artists are writing our contemporary worship songs, and many artists are feelers. We are in touch with our emotions and what is happening inside of us, but sometimes artists can prioritize the human experience over good theology. But we need songs that also hit the mind, but not just the mind. Because musical worship isn't just intellectual. It is also emotional. That is, it engages the heart. Now, it may sound weird to talk about musical worship as an uh, emotional, experiential kind of thing because we generally don't think about people who are emotional in in a good light, right? Like you've never heard somebody say this. Dude, I met this, I met this great guy. He was super handsome, he was super kind, he was super emotional. (laughs) Never, right? Because when we think about people who are emotional, we're like, oh, well, emotions are all over the place. They're up, they're down, it's it's erratic, like it's it's unstable. Even some of you right now are maybe asking, or maybe you've heard this, like, is there even a place for emotions in worship? Well, worship at its core is a response to God. Okay, the question is, what is the right response to God? And is it emotional? Let me ask you this. If you stood before the Grand Canyon and felt nothing, no awe, no wonder, no fear, somebody would think there was something wrong with you. In the same way, if you stand before God, the creator of the universe, the sustainer of all things, the savior of the world, and feel absolutely nothing, maybe there's something wrong. Maybe there is some kind of disconnect. Well, I don't know, Dom. I just have a hard time with the emotions and the feelings, and I just, I'm not a very kind of like, this is how my stepdad talks, by the way. I'm not a very kind of feely guy, you know? That's all right. Let me give you a life hack. Listen to more music. Is there anything that moves the human heart like music does? This is why we have soundtracks in films. I heard a film composer say recently, the dialogue and the picture in a film tell you what to think. The music tells you what to feel. Maybe this is one of the reasons why God put such an emphasis on songs and singing and not just speaking. When the truth is spoken, we are being told what to think about God. But when we accompany the truth with music, we are being told what to feel about God. Martin Luther, the great reformer, once said, experience proves that next to the word of God, only music deserves to be extolled as the mistress and governess of the feelings of the human heart. He goes on to say, next to the word of God, I give music the highest place in my life. Emotions are a good thing. 
They are not a result of the fall. They're not a result of our sin nature. They are from God. Yes, they need to be shepherded. Yes, they need guardrails, but so do our thoughts. God is described in the Bible as one who has emotions. Jesus experienced the gamut of emotions. And so if we are to worship God with the fullness of our being, and that's what the soul means, worship God, heart, soul, it means your entire being. If we are to worship God with our full being, then we are to worship him with our emotions. But worship is not only intellectual and emotional. Musical worship is also physical That is, it engages our strength. When the Bible talks about our strength, it's talking about our physicality, the body. In the Bible, there are two main words translated as worship. One in the Old Testament, it's used often, one in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, it is the Hebrew word shacha. I want you to just say that. You got to do the throat thing though. Say shacha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shacha means to bow down, prostrate oneself, that is face in ground, paying homage to a king or a deity, shakah. In the New Testament, it is often the Greek word proskuneo. Say proskuneo. Proskuneo, much lighter, nicer word to say. Pros, it means turn toward. Kaneo, it means kiss. To turn toward and kiss. Both of these postures are motivated by a heart posture, but they are manifest in a physical action. Worship should come from the heart, yes, but it shouldn't stay there. That was my wife who was up here a little bit ago. She's beautiful inside and out. I love her, but listen, what if I, my praise, my praise for my wife's beauty always only stayed in my mind and heart and never came out of my mouth. I thought she was beautiful. I even felt something in response to her beauty. I just never said anything about it. Not only is that mean, but it's wrong. Why? Because praise is not complete until it is expressed outwardly. This is why we instinctively feel the urge to say or do something in response to something magnificent. My family and I were just in Tahoe this week. We were driving up, no snow, okay? No snow, looked at the report, not gonna snow until after we're gone. My 10-year-old, God listens to him and answers him. I don't know why, it's amazing. My 10-year-old says, Lord, I would really love some snow on Wednesday. He said, I'd really love some snow on Wednesday, but it's okay if you don't give us snow. Wednesday morning, we wake up, snow everywhere. And, but one of these, one of these snow, not even a storm, I don't know what it's called, a snowfall that is just blue skies, no wind in the air, just for like 14 hours straight. Okay. The most epic time in Tahoe. We go to the lake that night. I have never in my life seen a body of water so still. There was not a breath of wind on the lake. The sun is setting. It is fluorescent pink. The water is fluorescent pink. All the mountains are white. You know what every single person at that shore did? Oh, dude, did you see that? They all were saying stuff. It didn't just stay in their minds. Even my stepdad sees something like that and goes, oh. (laughs) Why? Because praise is not complete until we express it 
outwardly in the same way that a true lover tells their significant other how beautiful they are, a true worshiper must tell God how wonderful he is. This is why scripture doesn't just tell us to think and feel worshipful thoughts and feelings. It tells us to sing them. This is why scripture says, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice and act of worship. This is why scripture says, lift your hands, bow down on your face, bend your knees, open your hands, sing with your mouth, dance with your feet, clap with your hands. The Bible tells us to sing. Did you know that when you sing, it uses 120 muscles in your body by design Musical worship is not something that just happens to us or is just passive or only lives inside of us. It is something that we have to engage in physically and it is not complete until we do so. Now, your outward expression may be subtle or more expressive depending on who you are. So whisper it, shout it, bow your head, Lift your hands, stand up, sit down. I don't care what you do, but do something. Do something because praise is not complete until it comes out. Musical worship is intellectual, yes. It is emotional, yes, but it is also physical. So obeying God's commands, back up again, causes flourishing in us, right? Jesus said, Here's the greatest command, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Musical worship is one of the best ways that we can do this. Here's what that means. If you wanna see flourishing in your life, one of the best places to start is by worshiping him in song. So what can we do today, right now then, as we, in just a few minutes, move into our second set of worship, our response time, as you show up next week to church What can we do practically? Where do we start? Well, like all things in the kingdom of God, it all starts in the heart. When Jesus met the woman at the well in John 4, and she's like, Jesus, do we worship here? Do we worship there? What does Jesus do? He gets it back to the heart. We come to Jesus, and we're like, Jesus, should we worship outside, inside? Should we do this building? Should we do it in another building? Jesus, should we do it loud? Should we do it quiet? Should we sing hymns? Should we sing contemporary songs? Jesus says, you're asking the wrong questions. It's not about where you worship. It is about where your worship comes from. True worship comes from the heart. So I wanna end today by giving you four words and four brief descriptions of ways that we can posture our hearts toward God in worship. First of all, we posture our hearts in worship vertically. Yes, there is a horizontal uh, corporate nature to worship, but God is the object. Worship is to him, it is for him, and it is about him. It's not about your preferences. It's not about you being entertained. It's about Jesus. That's why we pick the songs that we do. That's why we arrange the music the way that we do. That's why the lights are super low on the stage the way that they are. We want to orient everything toward Jesus. Secondly, we posture our hearts relationally. God is not interested in routine, contrived, religious sing-alongs. Worship is not just like something we do or the prelude to the message. And it's not a transaction. It's not like, oh, God did a nice thing for me. And so now I'm gonna sing him a nice song. 
Worship is not a transaction. It is a relational response to his character and to his presence. He is the king of glory. He is the savior of the world. He's the one that loves us. And he's here right now, right here. Jesus didn't die on the cross and the veil torn in two so that we could have a transaction with God. He did it so that we could have an intimate relationship with God. He died so that we could come close. How close? Proskineo close turn toward and kiss. And we posture our hearts honestly. That means that we come to God vulnerable and exposed, letting him into every area of our hearts, every area of our lives, every area of our minds, even the hidden corners, even the parts that we're ashamed of or afraid of, the parts where we have doubts, the parts where we have questions, the parts where we are struggling. We fully open ourselves up and we allow true honest, vulnerable adoration and worship to flow out and we allow his life to flow in. And lastly, we posture our hearts intentionally. Intentionally. The truth is, we may not always feel like worshiping, just like a spouse doesn't always feel like moving toward the other. But we choose to do it because we know it's right. We know that it's good. And so we don't wait around to see if the feelings are going to show up. We intentionally choose to move toward God in worship. Sometimes not because we feel like it. Sometimes because we don't, in spite of the fact that we don't feel like it. Because we know we need it even more so in those times. So choose to come. Choose to bow down. Choose to lift your hands. Choose to to lift your voice. Just like you choose to reach out your hand to your spouse, even though you may not be particularly feeling all the warm fuzzies, you reach out for connection in the same way. Sometimes we have to make a physical gesture toward God in a way of kind of helping our hearts get to where they need to be. So then church, when we gather on Sundays, let us show up intentionally like God is really here to meet with us and speak to us and minister to us. Let us show up to church hungry to meet with him. Let us show up on time for goodness sake, Jesus, please help us. Please help us show up on time. Listen, if you were going to a date with your spouse where they were like, oh, you're gonna engage, you're gonna connect, nobody shows up late. Jesus is here, he wants to commune with us. He wants to commune with us, guys. He's waiting for us. Let's not miss out on that. Let's show up to church on time and expectant to meet with him. So let us show up to worship with relational intentionality, with honesty and vulnerability and orienting our hearts upward toward him, the one who is worthy of it all. Amen? Let's pray that it would be so. Jesus, you are the king on the throne. And your word tells us that at the end of days, You will be there on the throne where every tribe, tongue, and nation will be gathered around with the angels and the saints who came before us and that we will sing a new song after prophecy is gone, after tongues have ceased, after gifts are gone, after there are no more sermons, we will still be singing. 
And so God, we want to ask that you would now do a work in us that helps rightly adjust our hearts to your heart for musical worship. Help us to even practice, so to speak, while we're here on earth for this thing that we will do for all of eternity. And if there's anything in us that needs to be corrected, Lord, we just ask you lovingly correct it. And right now, God, we wanna turn our hearts towards you and we just wanna respond. We wanna be like Mary and just pour out our adoration on your feet for who you are and what you've done. It's all for you, Jesus.